1 John chapter 3, I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 24. Again, this is God's Word. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide, whoever does not love, abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. It's that time of year again, isn't it? The, the end of the year and everywhere, whether we're reading something or watching something or in a conversation with, with someone, somebody is calling us and challenging us and reminding us to look back on 2012. Remember last Year. It's everywhere. And all the, the top ten lists and the top hundred lists start coming out and we see them everywhere. There's a few that stand out for me. I'll just mention a, a couple. Oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I hesitate to even bring it up. The, the, the best sports moments of 2012. You know, what struck me is, do you, do you remember the Super Bowl? You remember who won the Super Bowl in 2012? 
Isn't that amazing? You should. There was a guy named Eli Manning and the New York Giants winning the Super Bowl. You know, that seems like years ago. It was this year. We see the greatest sports moments list. We see te- lists about uh, the newest, greatest, and best technology. You know, I've now entered the, the world of iPod, iPad, and iPhone. And as my wife says, iWife. Ay, ay, ay. The lists go on. Um, I saw this, the greatest fashion moments of 2012. What the heck is a fashion moment? (laughs) I don't want to know what that is. It's everywhere. Greatest fashion, faux pas, uh, books, music. Um, Here's another one. Famous people who died in 2012. Life just will not be the same without Andy Griffith anymore. But on a more serious note for you, you have lots of memories of 2012, don't you? I do. Some are wonderful, some are not so wonderful. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you experienced a great disappointment. Maybe you experienced a great joy, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Look back. Remember. Remember last year. We see it everywhere. But isn't it fascinating that at the same time, almost in the same breath, in the same program or the same whatever it is that we're reading, we're also told to look forward. What is your resolution for the coming year? What do you plan to do for the coming year? What do you want to change for the coming year? I want to save more money or make more money or get a new job or whatever it is. What do you want to change or do? I, I, you know, you might want to get a, an education. You might want to lose weight, uh, gain weight, not think about weight. I don't know. But whatever it is for you, and you're hearing that all the time, look back, look forward at the same time. Now, if there's any group that should be especially sensitive to this and awake and aware to looking back and looking forward at the same time. Right now, it's Christians, isn't it? So much of this is is trivial, but for us, we remember God's faithfulness to His people generation after generation after generation. We look forward to God keeping Every one of His promises in the future. We look back to the cradle and the cross at at Christmas that makes our salvation possible. We look forward to the return of the King in glory. We should love the past. We should love the future, we should live right now. Faithfully. Right now. It's a good time of year to ask this question. It's always good to ask this question, but it seems appropriate, last Sunday of the year, to ask this question, to to do a checkup, so to speak. Here's the question. What are we doing 
with our lives? What are you doing with your life? What am I doing with my life? What are we doing with our life? Not, not, don't misunderstand me. Not that I'm sort of working my way up some performance ladder to God in my relationship with Him or in my relationship with, with you. We're not trying to perform our way to heaven or per, to perform our way through relationships. What we're trying to think through today Biblically speaking, is what does it look like to bear good fruit? Seems an appropriate time of year, a transitional time of year, looking back and looking forward. What does it mean for a Christian to bear good fruit? What does it mean? What does it look like? What does that look like? What does it mean to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? What does it mean and what does it look like to bear good fruit, to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Uh, The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, chapter 4 says, You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit for God. What is that? What is that? There is probably no one more helpful in my years of pastoral ministry to answer that very question than the Apostle Paul. I mean, the, than the Apostle John. Paul's pretty good too. But the Apostle John, why? Why? John has written a letter to Christians answering this very question. He is an older man. He's been down the road. He walked with Jesus Christ and knew Him intimately. He says, I walked with Him. I heard Him. I touched Him. I was there at the transfiguration. I was there at the cross. He looked down from the cross and said, John, Will you take care of my mother? I saw him raised from the dead. I saw the empty tomb. I saw and walked with the risen Christ. The people to whom John is writing this letter see him as a pastor. We could call him Pastor John and a father figure. And over and over in this letter, he says, dear children, little children. He's not talking about little children. He's talking about, he's using a term of affection for these people in these churches. Essentially, he's saying, I love you and I, you've got to know this. I'm I'm reaching the end of my life and I want to tell you what to do with yours. I want to tell you what that looks like. So it's, it's an extremely uh, uh, appropriate uh, letter and, and passage for everybody who's a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, this is appropriate for you, uh, male or female, young, old, whatever life stage you are. What John is about to tell us about what you're supposed to do with your life is appropriate. If you're not a Christian... If you're visiting from out of town and somebody made you come this morning, 
and you don't really care to be here. There's somebody like that in here. I used to be like that before I was converted. I didn't want to go to church. But if you're not a believer, you will at least see a biblical portrait of a Christian. You'll see a biblical portrait of a Christian. What a Christian should be doing. What a Christian looks like. What a Christian should be doing with his or her life. And let me say, before we get into the the, the meat of the passage, I look out here from one end to the other of this sanctuary and I see people that are much more faithful than I am in living their Christian lives. I see people that are astounding in their faithfulness and their passion and their courage for Jesus Christ. And it's a tremendous encouragement, but it's always good. It's always good, isn't it, for all of us to go back, to rethink, to reevaluate. What are we doing? What should we be doing with our lives? And here's what Pastor John will tell us. First, we're to love one another. Second, we are to expect opposition. Third, we are to serve one another. And fourth, in the midst of all of this, he promises comfort and confidence. Through, the, through all of this, he promises comfort and confidence. Love one another. Expect opposition. Serve one another. And know that through it all, I will give you confidence, comfort. Love one another, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I got a call a few weeks ago from someone. Don't try to figure out who it is. The person is not in this church. It's from a previous church. And she called me. This was three, four weeks ago and and said, Brad, I'm mad. I'm hurt. What's going on? She's going through some very hard things in her life. She's still going through hard things in her life. She's in the midst of going through a, a divorce. And on top of it, and, and you all know how, how this is, if you've ever had, um, many of you will know this, if you've ever had a, a dog who's died. She's had a series of hard things that have gone on, and, and she's going through a, a divorce, and her husband left her, and, and her, her dog got sick and died, and she said, where is God? It just seems to be piling on. Where is he? I want, to, I want to talk to him. I want to interact with him. I want, to, I want to hear his voice. And I told her about the importance of, of being, being in, in church and being with other Christians and the importance of the, the spiritual disciplines and all of, those, all of those things that we know. And then it, it, it dawned on me as we were continuing to talk with, with one another, you know why you're hurting? Because you are made for love. 
Every one of us is made for love. And when it doesn't work out, it hurts so badly. Because we're made for fellowship and love with God and with with one another. And when those relationships are fractured, it hurts so bad. So even when we... We are angry with God or upset with God. That very reality that we were made to need love, we're made to need relationships, um, tells us again the importance of, of loving one another. This is the message: you should love one another. And then John. Now John's going to John's going to be real honest with us. He uses quite a, a intense illustration here. What is this all about? You're called to love one another. And then he uses this illustration of, of murder in a family. The first murder in a family. What, what, is he, what is he getting at here? He says we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. You, you remember in Genesis chapter 5 we have two brothers in the context of worship. Of bringing offerings. We have jealousy and hatred. In the context of worship. We have in a family jealousy and, and hatred and, and murder. And you may be thinking, man, that, that's awfully serious. Whew, I've never done that. I'm not going to murder anybody. I try to do my best. I try to love one another. I'm not going to murder anybody. Now, there's somebody that I'd like to murder, but I'm not going to murder anybody. I've never done that and don't ever plan on doing that. My son, when I would get upset, and he was younger, I had a great talk with my, my son yesterday who's overseas in the, in the army, and, and it reminded me of several things came up in my conversation with him, and I'd get upset or bothered or all worked up about something, and Harrison would look up at me when he was young and say, Dad, nobody died. But hold on. You know, there's a place in the New Testament where Jesus tells somebody to leave a worship service. There's a place in the New Testament where Jesus tells somebody to leave a worship service. Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, and this is Jesus, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So that if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now don't anybody get up and leave. We're learning this. But Jesus is saying, get up, leave the worship service Be reconciled to your brother and love him or her.
the word here, this, this word, this powerful word, is, is you fool. It's, it's, the, it's the word moros from what we get the word moron. He's saying, if you are saying in your heart, he's good for nothing. She's good for nothing. Why is he here? Why is she there? Go and be reconciled. Why is John doing this as a pastor? Because he knows how our hearts work. He knows what's often going on in our heads and our hearts. And he's saying, love one another. Don't be like Cain. Don't murder someone in your heart. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. As I said, I was talking to Harrison last night and we were talking about when he's going to see his next combat. He's overseas and will be sent at some point to to go back into combat. He's a, a paratrooper in the army. And he says he, he wasn't, wasn't sure, but I can remember, I remember, I remember, I remember the first day that Cindy and I dropped him off at the airport to go off to his first combat mission. And I remember in my heart, and I just, I had to, I literally ran up to him and grabbed him before he got on the plane. Harrison, do you know that I love you? Do you know that your dad loves you? And I love you unconditionally. I love you without conditions. I'm your dad. I'm your father. Now, if that's true of Harrison and me, how much more so of God and us and all of us as we relate to one another? What's the call? The call is unconditional love for one another. The call is unconditional love, love without conditions. Okay, secondly, don't be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. Expect opposition. Now, many of us know suddenly when you become a committed Christian and you decide you're going to follow Christ, God has worked a sovereign work of grace in your life and heart and you are now passionately following Jesus and everybody around you loves that, right? Everyone around, around you says, how can I help? That's super. That's wonderful that you're, you're going to the mission field. Or you're just going to be a faithful mom. Or you're going to be faithful in your business. Or you're going to be faithful in the military. Whatever. Everybody always says to you, great. No. How do you know you have the truth? What makes you so narrow-minded? You just think you're better than everybody else. Whatever. And John, Pastor John is telling us, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be angry. Don't be vengeful when you're opposed. When you're persecuted. You know, in a very real sense, this is freeing. We don't have to be surprised or shocked or angry or vengeful when we find out that that people are opposing us. 
1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar, here it is, 1 Peter chapter 4, but insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. I've been reading in in preparation a lot of the uh, the, the, the Screwtape letters. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape letters. Don't be surprised to learn that in God's efforts to get permanent and whole possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. <laughs> and we, all we have to do is think about his own son. What Jesus did for us. We're called to love unconditionally. This is a call to, to courage. I'm often convicted that I don't preach as many or I have heard many sermons, quite frankly, on Christian courage, courage for Christ. Don't be surprised. Be courageous. Serve one another. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? As I was going through all these lists of top tens and top hundreds of books and music and movies and all of that stuff, there's one song that that caught my eye that kept coming up as the greatest of all time. You know it. You remember Eleanor Rigby? Eleanor Rigby, classic. Um, and I went back and I read the words, and man, boy, was I convicted. Eleanor Rigby died in a church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKinsey wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. Father McKinsey writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear, no one comes near. This song over and over links four things that should never be linked. Church. Sermons. Needs and loneliness. I was uh, noticing, I'd never knew this before, you know there's a statue of Eleanor Rigby in Liverpool where the Beatles are, are from and there's a little statue and it's there, it's of, of, a, of a lady that's poor and she's sitting on a bench and she's looking at a little bit of food that she has and she's sharing it with the, the birds 
And there's a plaque, and it's dedicated to all the lonely people. But one thing I did not know is the sculptor, when he built it, I'd love to know what it is, but the sculptor, when he built it, placed, ripped out a page from the Bible and put it inside the statue. I don't know what the page says, but again, what, a, what an image. And I'll tell you one more thing about my conversation with Harrison yesterday when he came home from his first deployment his first combat, he said something that I will never forget. I've learned so much from my son. I said, how did it, how was it going into something that hard with your buddies? How was it going into that, that challenge? Were you, were you afraid? And, and how did you relate to the other guys going in? What was, it, what was the relationship like? I'll never forget what he, he said, Dad. There are a number of guys in my unit that I, I didn't get along with very well and I, I didn't even really like very much, but I would die for every one of them. I would die. I would give my life for every one of them. Um, how much more should that be true for us? What are we doing with our lives? We're called to step out of our comfort zones. Wherever the Lord is, is leading us, wherever He wants to take us. Finally, we can know that in the midst of all of this, God will give us confidence and comfort. Are you feeling a little overwhelmed? Are you feeling, you know, I, gosh, I don't love like I should. I don't serve like I should. I get angry by oppositions and what I, you know, the, the opposition that, that, that Christians receive from what I read and what I see in the, in the media. This is overwhelming. I came to be encouraged on this last day of this year. Not overwhelmed with all the things I'm not doing right. That's what I love about this passage. Pastor John knows that and he gives us one of the most encouraging passages in the entire Bible right now, right here when we need it most. By this we shall know, if you don't get anything else out of the sermon, get this verse. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, if it does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You know that voice that says, you know what? That sin that you keep committing, God will never forgive that. You are not good enough. You know, you, you will never live up to what God expects of you. You know that little voice? And that little voice says, you know, those people in the church, they don't care. In fact, they don't understand. They don't understand. They're not there for you. And you know, your prayers, God's not there. He's not 
He's not hearing you. This, this condemnation that we sometimes give into and that temptation to condemn ourselves in our own hearts with the assistance of the evil one in our own hearts, God is saying, not true. Don't believe it. I love you. I love you. And I am for you. And I am with you. And I came to serve you. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how when God challenges us to do something, He's already done it for us and then moves on to do it through us? <laughs> He's already done it before us and for us and then does it in us and through us for others. You understand that? Called to love, he loves. And in response to that love, we love. He is with us, not against us. And we can count on his presence with us every single minute of every day. And he came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. So you go serve. But he first served us. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. The same John, in John chapter 10, is walking, uh, giving an account of Jesus walking to the temple and there's this crowd that's coming in on Him and they say, Who are you? Who are you? This is Jesus' answer. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. This is a call to trust. Trust Jesus. Trust His promises. Place your faith in Him. Alone. And in the midst of all of this call to to serve, He's there. He's with us, working in us, and working through us. I want to close with, with this. Every year, at the end of the year, Cindy and I uh, read a, a chapter of the same book, I looked at it again today. It was $1.95 when I first bought it. A long time ago, all worn out. But if you've never read it, maybe this could be a resolution for you. It's a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer, chapter 5. He writes about the meaning of Christmas. But then he goes on to say, what does Christmas application look like? What does Christmas look like lived for us? And he says this, The Christmas claim is that Jesus was God-made man, appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie down and stare and wiggle and make noises. He needed to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. It gets more staggering the more you think about it. The Christmas message is that there is hope. 
hope of pardon, hope hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in the stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. Christmas claim, the Christmas message. And then he goes on to say the Christmas spirit. The Christmas spirit is in those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow men, giving time and trouble and care and concern to do good to others in whatever way there seems need. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. so that through his poverty, we might become rich. And then he closes by saying, this is the most wonderful message the world has ever heard or ever will hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word to us today as we are in a reflective mood, thinking back and looking forward and hearing from, from John that we are, we're called to love. We're ta- called to expect uh, opposition. We're called to serve. Yet in the midst of this, we are carried by grace used by and through grace. We have confidence and comfort in the, in the midst of all of this because of this baby born to die who started in a, in a cradle and then drank the, the cup in the garden of wrath and hung on a cross and conquered our, our greatest enemies, sin and death. Oh, Lord, we pray that, that all of us would take stock. We would reevaluate. We would rethink, what are we doing with our lives in response to grace? And how are we bearing fruit? How are we being ambassadors for Jesus who did everything for us? Came and died and sent the Spirit. Oh, Lord, we pray. As we, as we close by, by singing one of the great hymns of the faith, Amazing Grace, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us by your Spirit to, to love, <laughs> to love and live Amazing Grace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.